Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with my good friend, Christian Michael Sancho. Christian is a professional touring bass player who is currently working with country artist Ashley McBride. We are discussing the do's and don'ts when auditioning to be in a band for a major label artist, plus the difference in playing small venues versus large arenas and late night talk shows, which they have played tons of them. Get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey, everyone. We are talking with my good friend, Mr. Christian Sancho. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Dude, it's, I'm good. It's good to see you. We haven't, we haven't hung out for a while. It's probably been years at this well, point. Well, I don't know if it's been years. Maybe it's been a year, maybe two, yeah, since yeah. we've actually got to, to do anything together, hang out, because we're just super busy and mm-hmm. both doing our thing, and that's the way life goes, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. life the life of a musician. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, just for our, our listeners to know how we know each other, you and I, go to, technically we go to church together, even though, we, again, we never see each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and we serve on the worship team together at, at, here at Fellowship Bible Church, which we're actually, they're kind enough to let us to hang out here and, and meet to do this today. Um, you are a bass player, for listeners to know. You are a professional touring bass player. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I gave you the nickname of Bass Tasties because <laughs> you're always doing these tasty little runs that we just like love. Every time we hear you play, you're doing this, some little lick that we're just like, dude, that's so good, so smooth, <laughs> and just so tasty. So that's just so, in case you didn't know that, that's your nickname for us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, now... We'll get into this more later on, but currently you are out touring full-time with a country artist named Ashley McBride, which lots and lots of people should know who she is because she's a phenomenal artist and songwriter, and um, I mean, you guys have done a lot, so uh, I'm excited to get in to talk about that, but before we do that, I want to back up just a little bit, like always, and just get your get a brief history of who Christian Sancho is, let people know where you're from what got you into music to begin with and kind of led you down this path to be a full-time musician? Dope. Um, it's pretty simple. My I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a suburb, and my old man played bass guitar, so I grew up hearing him play. And when I was probably 10, I started expressing an interest in learning and would kind of go down and pluck on his instruments and whatnot. And I was pretty on and off through 
my like middle school years and because I, I think I started playing at the end of elementary school, like fifth grade. Uh, yeah. I think I remember coming home and my dad had got me a, a beginner's base. And uh, but it was it was pretty on and off probably until I was 15. Just I was doing the normal, you know, teenager stuff, right. trying a bunch of different things and just never like had the. Uh, the drive to sit down and, and take it seriously when I was that young and but about 15 came around and I uh, it was something that I decided that I wanted to do so um, I came up and really like pretty much only knew for a long time that Christian music uh, existed and then um, as soon as I found like rock music that's when I was like I, w- I want to do this for for a living you right. know I think uh, Dave Matthews and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were like my my intro into the the secular music world and right from well there, yeah I'm... Flea I mean he's one of the best bass players that uh, there is yeah I love Flea it's uh, the Chili Peppers I'd still listen to uh, quite a lot in my adult life so. Yeah. Uh, and as a guitar teacher myself, uh, I had a student at one point who wanted to learn a Chili Pepper song, and wanted, he was playing bass. And so mm-hmm. I had to try, I had to teach him some this song that Flea plays. And I was like, dude, this is hard. Yeah, you know, it's like it's a lot of slapping and whatever. You know, it's just like he, he's a, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily just listening. The just a listener in general may not think about that too much but it's like mm-hmm. dude it's really complicated stuff that he plays yeah you know so anyway um okay so about 15 is when you start taking it seriously like what was it at 15 because i got a lot of a lot of high school students and early college students whatever that listen to the show that are wanting to get into this mm-hmm. and so what is it at 15 that makes you go okay this you know hearing that music whatever it makes you go okay this is what i want to do for a living um, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, starting with when when I was in high school and whatnot, I was small. I didn't really belong anywhere, um, and I got picked on a lot. And uh, when I started like listening to music and watching, you know, this was right as YouTube was becoming popular, and uh, you know, I started looking up live shows and you know, just interviews of all these musicians. And there was like a real uh, camaraderie and a sense of belonging uh, that playing music gives you. And I love that aspect of it. The other one was just like the visceral energy of of watching a live show uh, and like watching these people, again, using like Flea as an example, like be himself on stage and not, you know, he's not faking anything about his personality when he was up there. And then at that age too, I just, uh, I'd gotten this book. I watched a lot of, uh, Anthony Bourdain as a, as a kid, I'd come home from school every day and watch his show, no reservations. And I had this bug to kind of get out and, and travel that was implanted by kind of by coming home and watching his show every day and uh at at a young age I realized that the world was much bigger than the place that I was growing up in and I wanted to get out and and see as much of that as possible sure um and then uh also I had some great mentors and just creative people in my life growing up that showed me that it was indeed possible to make a living being a creative Mm -hmm. so it was kind of all of those things combined that made me want to go i want to do this i want to do something different than the the status quo sure 
So um, now, when you're taking, you took lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Was it your dad that taught you, or did you have an outside teacher? My dad taught me for a while, and then I got an outside teacher by the name of Matt Miller, who still teaches up in Wisconsin. He's a wonderful educator. Okay. So, now, are you learning at that point multiple genres of music? Because like, I know you're, you're playing for country now, and mm-hmm. and you've done Christian music stuff some in the past and different things like that. Um, I know you play all different genres, Yeah. but like, what was it... Was there a specific thing that you were focusing on at the time, or are you just kind of learning, trying to learn it all so that you could have options? Does that make sense? Yeah. So at that point, um, I was really into jam bands and jazz fusion. And I think my personality type, for those of you out there who are Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram 5. So I'm very, uh, I dive really deep into things. And, um, and so, and then also coming from the not ever really being good at anything in school, I was an average student, not good at sports and anything. I, I had this attitude that I just wanted to be the best at something, right. which is a foolish thing to do or foolish reason to do something. But, um, uh, so I was very into like, uh, jazz fusion and very just heady music that to me seemed to be the pinnacle of musicianship and whatnot, which sure. I still believe like the, there are some excellent, excellent musicians out in that world who I still love to this day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I really didn't learn a bunch of, uh, songs like I didn't have your very formal like coming up joining a joining a garage band jamming with people I took a very academic approach to things because I thought in my mind if I learn all the academics to music scales theory all that stuff that I was going to be the best and I was so sorely wrong in that (laughs) okay what's that's interesting you say that it's like why do you why do you say that why is that wrong why why are you wrong by saying that um i think it's an important aspect to learn the fundamentals of music but music at its core is a shared experience between players on stage and to get good at that you need to be playing with people and playing together in an ensemble fashion and learning how to play your instrument with a drummer and a guitar player and all of that. You can't sit at home and just play scales and work on getting things playing the fastest or doing, you know, crazy slap stuff. Um, Cause what I realized when I moved to college and had another mentor up in Wisconsin who played in a country band and tried to do um, the Nashville thing for a while with his band um, was that most of that stuff is not applicable when you're playing uh, the real academic, yeah, heady type stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not academic, or it's not applicable when you're playing to a song, right? Um, In a mainstream world, country, yes. rock, pop kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah, and a lot of the times too, and though in that world, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be theoretically correct. It's just, does it sound cool? Is it making an impact? And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be theoretically correct and whatnot. And I was so caught up with being theoretically correct and learning everything and having all the knowledge that, you know, I and I just didn't have the experience of getting in uh, a garage with people and, and jamming. Yeah. So I kind of came at it from a different angle. Yeah. So, so that's, a, that's an interesting point of that you're making i do think that you have an advantage however by by knowing all of that super technical academic 
aspect of it because mm-hmm. you can once you get into the into the world of playing with other musicians and being in a band and thing you can apply some of those things into that scenario you know and be a better player for it because you you because now you can do things that the average player can't do mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah you know I, I understand what you're saying like mm-hmm. how that we're just doing the academic version of that stuff is not good because you're not in the context of playing with other people. Mm-hmm. But now that you are doing that, now you're able to apply things to that context that you weren't able to do before and that other people would not be able to do even if they wanted to. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. You yeah. Know, so I, I see both, both sides of that, but, um, but yeah. I'm glad you ended up getting with people and playing. Yeah. I, <laughs> Cause yeah. we're, we're all better for it. I think ideally you need a, a good mix of both. Um, exactly. You know, and then it can't be all, or, it, you know, there are some great players who in the world who have made their living who do not know the first thing well, about of music theory. But I think it it's beneficial for you as a young musician to learn as much as you can about that and also be playing as much as you can with people and i think it's the the marriage of those two worlds that are gonna uh set you ahead yeah and set you apart Mm -hmm. you know to because when people are looking especially in in a music city when someone's looking to let's say they want to start a band you know and they're auditioning players you know they want to get the the best player they can get but they also want to get someone who's good to hang out with and you know all that Stuff, mm-hmm. the relationship aspect of, of it and those things but you know you you want to have someone who's a who's a good player as well and so you've by being able to do those things you're setting yourself apart and and giving yourself an advantage you know because you are a great player at that point mm-hmm. you know so as for people listening to know that i think that's an important aspect of it so um so now where did you go to college i went to belmont university oh, that's in right. nashville so yeah. i was yeah and it was, uh, I've mixed feelings about it. Sure. Um, but, uh, I, it was beneficial for reasons other than what I thought it was going to be going in. So, okay. Can you, can you hit on like in what ways? Um, yeah, it was, it paid off less in the music education of things and more in the relational aspect of things. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, music school is, it's accredited. It's got to stick to, uh, a program. Um, and so you're not necessarily learning things that are going to be applicable to what you're going to experience in the real world. Right. Um, in fact, a lot of what you're learning is not going to be applicable to you in the real world of making music. Um, and this is in any music school, not just Belmont. Yeah, this just is because we're not we're not trashing on Belmont. We got yeah, lots of no, guests no. who've been on who mm-hmm. who've gone through it and and love it and. But music, just music schools in general. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. People, I just want people to know that. Yeah, any accredited university is going to, they have to stick to a program. Yeah. Um, you know, and my, one of my big clams with that was we live in uh, one of the most rich musical environments in in the world. And uh, it there was very little integration of that into the uh, program itself. So what you have is you're going to college in Nashville and then they're pushing all these students out in into the Nashville scene where most of them end up staying. I know most of the people that I went to school with stayed in Nashville. And uh, 
you really they don't really teach you anything about how the Nashville music scene functions and what's going to be required of you to be functioning as a professional player to do what I do, um, which is touring um, at a high level uh, in school. They don't. There was nothing about right. that. So, so um, can you talk about what that is? Like, so what is it? Now, because you built relationships along the way that have allowed mm-hmm. you to do that, but like, what are some specific things that you can talk about that you did not learn in school that you had to learn in the real world to be a, a live touring musician full time? Um, man, it's a ton of different things. I think the first and foremost is realizing that uh, the players who uh, on paper are technically the best or have the most facility on their instrument or can do all these amazing things. And I mean, you can go on Instagram or YouTube and look up any multitude of of these players are not the players that end up on tour buses getting getting gigs, mm-hmm. doing doing what I do. And that was a huge realization for me. The other part of, of many is like your personality is way, way, way more uh, of a thing that's taken into consideration when... Uh, when you're auditioning for gigs and whatnot, it's mm-hmm. pretty much a baseline in Nashville that anybody can play uh, well, especially if you're getting in the room to do A-list auditions. What's important at that part, it, at that point, is how you m- mold with other people. Right. I'm on a tour bus with 11 people right now. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to get along with people. Uh, yep. And uh, that is one of the most important aspects. And then just being prepared for everything. Um, And this is, man, I still run into many, many players out there that just, they don't do their homework. And what that means is learning the parts, like the record, in a lot of cases, note for note, uh, doing the thing, and then showing up to uh, an audition or a rehearsal as if it was the gig that night, then right. that's, that was another huge lesson that, that I had to learn and, you know, showing up, not knowing material is not okay. And showing up to rehearsal, not having a, everything together is not okay. Cause at that point you're wasting other people's time. So did you do that starting out? There was definitely some moments where, uh, especially in school where, you know, just didn't show up prepared, just didn't have the right mindset about it. And what was good about going to Belmont is it gave me a safe space to figure that out. Okay. Um, and because if you do that in the real world, it's not going to be looked kindly upon and you're probably not going to get called by those people again if you show up not prepared. That was not so much the case in school where everybody is learning and trying to figure it out and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But in the real world, those things are not acceptable at all. So that's interesting you say that just because because this town and the music community in general around the world is so tightly knit. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows everyone. And if you don't, then who you know knows does know that person, right? Exactly. So... Um, and so many times I have guests on the show that the reason that they do get a gig is because they do know somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they've got a friend who is a drummer in the band. And, hey, we need, we need a bass player. Do you want to be on the band? Or, you know, you want to come audition, but it's super 
chilled out because you kind of already have relationships with those people. Yeah. Right. So the fact that you're saying, you know, especially when you started out that getting auditions, you know, you have to know everything because if you don't do it and you're not easy to hang out with, whatever, then that's kind of the end of it for you. So you're walking into these situations. It sounds like not knowing some of these people, Mm -hmm. like it's a, it's like kind of like a blind audition of sorts. So how often did you audition for, for bands and not, and you not know who they were beforehand? Like you didn't have a, have a relationship already lined up with these people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, only one time. Okay. And that was with Ashley McBride. I've done two auditions in Nashville. One was very early on when I was still in school for Maddie and Tay before okay. their single went to radio and whatnot. And then the second audition that I did was for Ashley. And in the Ashley camp, I did not know a single soul that was playing in the band. So I walked into the room and uh, didn't know anybody. And uh, usually how that works in Nashville auditions is when the artist decides to audition a member, the band usually has an idea of who they're going to hire. And then they just bring in... Uh, some other people, they take recommendations to see if there's going to be any surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, but they usually have a good idea of who they're going to hire before the, you're the saying audition. The, you're saying the band members in her in her band or mm-hmm. whoever's band kind of has an idea of who they want to already yeah. be in it. Like they've got some some people that they suggest mm-hmm. already. Yep. And then, so then how did you end up even end up getting to be in the audition if you didn't know anybody? So I am good friends with Josh Turner's guitar player, uh, John Shaw, and him and I met playing at a church out in Lebanon, Tennessee. Um, And uh, Ashley's guitar player at the time was staying at his house because he lives in Savannah, Georgia and staying at his house. And, um, it was just at the time that Ashley had, uh, parted ways with her old bass player and, um, Andrew Sovine, who's Ashley's old guitar player was staying at John Shaw's house. And he asked John Shaw for recommendations because they're good friends just to get some other blood in the room that wasn't that maybe wasn't somebody that they knew. And that was how my name got thrown in for it. Okay. So, so can you talk about what the audition process was like? Cause there are a lot of people listening that are wanting to get in, you know, that are, <laughs> I know tons of people that are like, man, I just want to go, I want to play full time. I want to mm-hmm. be out on the road live playing for, you know, a big artist or a signed artist, you know, or whatever. And, but they just don't know how to go about the process, you know, other than the fact of saying that we keep saying it comes back to relationships. You have to know somebody, but, you, you had someone refer you, which is mm-hmm. great, but then you started to go in the process, you know, through the audition in a room with people that you had no idea who any of these people were, and they didn't know you either. Yep. So can you talk through what that process, audition process is like? Yeah. Um, so it's, again, um, doing your homework, uh, and that is not just learning the music. And what I mean by that is, like, when you audition, I think for Ashley, we played three songs. I think normal auditions, two or three songs maximum. I've never done an, a, an A-list audition that's been over three songs. Okay. Um, and then the other part of that is getting online and looking up live shows, seeing what their vibe is. Um, seeing how they dress, how they carry themselves, like, because you want to, to look the part as well. Cause that's, that's important. Um, vanity, like this is a vanity driven business 
and a lot of people see with their or hear with their eyes. And so you need to be a cohesive part of what they're trying to go for. Sure. And like, and getting, it's funny getting online and like looking, everybody in the band either had long hair or a beard. And I had neither of those things. And I was kind of joking with uh, John Shaw after the fact. I was like, man, if I would have known anybody in the room, like I would have gotten like a fake beard to wear in to the audition. <laughs> they all have yeah. And, um, so it like it's a important and like even based on that thought I going into the room I was like man it's like this is going to be a long shot for me because one I don't really look the part yeah. um and two I don't know anybody right. and those are two pretty big disadvantages to have when you're when you're walking into the yeah. room to Which audition. Which now you do look the part cuz you have an epic beard going on right now. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> and the tattoos and everything else. Yeah. So all right so the, the, the two those two things so uh, continue on there I'm sorry. Um but yeah and so that's like it, it's pretty much you have to be looking at things other than prepping the music. Um and again that's like seeing what they seeing what they wear and how they dress and then you know either going out and buying clothes to fit that or making looking at your wardrobe and seeing if what you have fits that you know you don't yeah. want to come into an audition for something like Ashley um which is very much a jeans and a t-shirt kind of gig yeah. wearing you know some of the bands you see are just like their suits and ties and you know you just don't you want to make sure you're wearing right and it's the right thing right and people hear that and thinking well that you know that seems very vanity oriented whatever mm -hmm. and I understand that however let's let's clarify something when you go work in a corporate office what is the requirement? You're wearing three-piece suits and ties and, right, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. wingtip shoes and, you know, clean-shaven, you know, or if you're or, or if you're a woman, you know, a dress or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, wherever you work, there is a dress code, Yeah. right? If mm -hmm. you work at a pizza place, there's a dress code or whatever it is. So if you're a musician and you're working on a specific genre of you know, of a band or whatever, there's, it's, it's a dress code, yep. you know, there's a look that you're trying to portray and that's no matter what you're doing mm -hmm. in life. So, because people will be like, well, that seems so stupid. You know, you should wear whatever you want. Well, yes, but yeah. however, there's, you know, so just, I just want to clarify that so people understand yeah, yeah, the, the mindset of what that is. Absolutely. So. But yeah, and I think that's, I mean, pretty much it. It's just not, you need to look at things other other than the music, yeah. you know, and then you know, just like simple simple stuff. Like, so, okay, so you didn't have the beard, and you didn't have necessarily that look. Mm -hmm. So, why did they ended up pick end up picking you then? Um, you know, they had their minds set on a bass player that they were gonna hire, um, and I I came into the room, and I again I did my homework very well. I prepared yeah. the music really well. I made sure that that I knew it, that I was living and breathing in it. Um, you know, because I knew I didn't have those other things. So I knew that I needed like that needed mm -hmm. to be pretty next to perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I came in and I, I played well. I felt like when I walked out of the audition that I auditioned very well, um, which sometimes isn't the case when I, when I walk out of the room and I felt like I had left a good repre representation of how I play and what I do, um, in, in that room and that was it was what they decided that they ended up 
wanting and and liking so and then they called me and i did a couple of gigs with them just to make sure again that personalities were a fit that we traveled well together um and then they offered me the the gig full time after that so that's cool yeah so um when you're doing the audition how how long from the time that you're re- you're referred to you know your guitar buddy mm-hmm. refers you to their person how long between that and the actual audition process do you do you get to learn the songs i think i had about a week to get it together okay so which is i think i mean it can be any it's usually not too long of a process you're not going to have months to prepare this stuff ever. right um you know I, and i've known people who have gotten calls uh you know the night before an audition mm-hmm. you know one of the things that you need to be able to do in nashville is learn music quickly and right. and be able to play it very well after only having spent a, a minimal amount of time with it yeah so. yeah that's what sets 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 you apart mm-hmm. you know and that's what gets you work is mm-hmm. being able to do those things because if you can't if you can't step up and do those basic things, you know, in this town or in any music town, when that's required of you, then you're not going to get work. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yep. so that's a huge, huge part of it that you have to do. Um, so you, now you also said that you had auditioned for Maddie and Tay. Mm-hmm. You knew them already, correct? Um, I didn't know people. them. I knew the guys that I was auditioning with okay. for that. Okay. So, um, but that was like, we were all very young and I think the original plan with them was to kind of bring us in to get them some experience playing behind a band. Cause I, when I met them, I don't, I think they were 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so it was just to get them some experience playing with a band. We were going to do some shows around town and whatnot, but then, uh, that single came out that went number one. I'm slipping on the name of it right now. And, uh, I, they just needed people who were professional players to come in there and do their things because it all, you know, they had tours and everything, TV and all that stuff. And that was at a time, I think I was, 20 when that came around and I just wasn't you know none of us at that time who auditioned were ready for that thing so okay so let's okay let's talk about that for a second because now you're playing with Ashley McBride Mm -hmm. and you guys are touring all over I mean all over the country are y'all doing have y'all done world stuff yeah we do international every year okay that's what I thought but yeah um so now I do know this. I have seen you play on Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show mm-hmm. and some other late night shows that you've been on. Um, you know, and like you're saying with the Maddie and Tate gig, you know, you guys weren't weren't prepared to go out and do that kind of stuff because that's mm-hmm. a whole different thing, right? Yeah. So, what is that like? Like, what is it? What is it like to be to be playing on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon or any of these other late night shows or whatever? Like, what's that process? To, to go do that, you know, what's the day in the life of being on a talk show performing? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, the, the TV dates are, they're pretty simple. Uh, it's you, you load in depending on, like, the late night shows, it's like a 10 a.m. load in. 
And then you go and set up and you do a quick sound check. You run through your song. They do camera blocking and then you break at noon and then you come back at five or six and they record the show and you do your song and you play it once and, and then it's done. Um, that's it. So, yeah, that's it. You have. You and know, it is live. Uh, it's uh, so the show is pre. Well, yeah, the show is pre recorded, but I mean, when. Yeah, when you guys are playing. You guys are playing live. You're not playing to a pre-recorded mm-hmm. track. Yeah, it is. Some people have done that and have yeah. gotten reamed for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? we are. Um, yeah, we don't even we don't run tracks of any sort in Ashley's band. So okay. it's 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 a five it piece rock band. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, we you do the thing, and then you know it's on TV a couple hours later. Um, you know, and the first time you do it, it's pretty terrifying, and then now it's just I've done it. I've been fortunate enough to do it, I think, five, six times oh, now. What all shows have you been on? Because I know you've done The Tonight Show. Yeah, so I've done um, Tonight Show two times. Okay. Um, I've done Jimmy Fallon. I've done Seth Meyers. And then we've done uh, CMT uh, Honors, which was a live right. television show. Um, and, yeah, I think... That's it, but I could be missing one in there. Yeah, so um, that's cool, man. But yeah, it, it's you know it's always fun and it's a it's a cool thing. You know, it's yeah. one of those things that as a kid you dream about doing. And, yeah, totally. You know, well, I think it's been it's so cool because you uh, we didn't mention this earlier, but um, I've been fortunate enough to have you play bass for me mm-hmm. and go out and do some some events and and different things like that. And so, which you know, I loved having you being out with me and then. And then it's cool to see, you know, going from doing that and then I'm watching The Tonight Show and all of a sudden there you are on TV playing bass. I'm like, dude, that is so awesome. I'm like, I think I text you mm-hmm. after that, that night. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Congratulations or whatever. And yeah, you know, it's just, it's fun to get to see that progression of the different things that you've, that you've been able to do over the years. Yeah. Thank you. Know? you. Um, so, okay, let's back up. Cause I, we were started talking about when you were at Belmont, mm-hmm. um, and then we got to, I wanted to focus on that. And that's kind of taken on this rabbit, rabbit trail. But let's go back a little bit and discuss that. Because um, you were saying that one of the important things that you learned was was the relationships. Yeah. That's one of the, the things that you got out of being at, yeah. at Belmont. Um, why, you know, why was that such an important thing for you? How did that lead you down the path to, that got you to where you are now? Um, this is a relational business. Mm -hmm. Um, so what Belmont provided me with was a safe space to learn, um, and relationships that to this day I still have. Um, a lot of them are, um, new guitar player with Ashley is the guy I met on the first day of college. Um, you know, and we've been friends ever since we play a lot of music together. I got the call to play at that church, which led me to meeting John Shaw, which ultimately led to getting the audition with Ashley. I met him. Uh, I got that call from a drummer that I had met at Belmont to play at that church. And so you're in this community of a lot of players, um, that are, that you're meeting. And, um, you know, some of them I still have great relationships with to this day. Uh, a lot of them kind of end up dropping off the map and figuring out that this isn't for them or they move Mm -hmm. in a different direction or they're just doing something different, 
musically. Um, I was lucky enough to end up with relationships with very like-minded players who wanted a touring gig and kind of chased after those, those things together. Um, so it was, and again, a lot of those guys I still know and run into and hang out with and whatnot. So it wasn't so much about the education as it was, uh, the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've had other guests on the show and we've talked about that kind of stuff where that's such an important aspect of it. You know, a lot of people, when they come out of Belmont or Berkeley or, you know, any of these, any of these music schools, one of the main focuses is they're trying to get into the business side of mm-hmm. the music business. You know, they're trying to get on a label or a publisher promotions mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so one of the things that, that the school affords for them is it op- allows them opportunities to do internships. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're trying to be a touring musician, there's not really an internship that you can get, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to come out of school into some position, you know, as a musician. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where the relationships come because it's, and we, again, we've talked about this many times before, but it's the people that you come up with, you're coming out of college or you're moving into town and meeting people kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then your quote unquote class of people that you're coming, that you're coming up with, you know, as one of them has success, that gives you success. And mm-hmm. as you have success, that gives one of them success and vice versa. And it just kind of like brings up everyone together, Yeah, you know? And so that's that's where that works for everybody because you did that, you know, you're a guitar player that, um, that you're playing with now. Like you said, you went to college with them when the first, when the first day you moved to town or when first day you moved to, to, into school, Yep. you know? And so that, that took a few years, obviously before mm-hmm. you guys were able to work together in this capacity. Yeah. But you know, because you had that relationship, you yeah. know, did you, did you suggest him to her? Uh, I did, yeah. yeah. He was, um, when Ashley parted ways with her old guitar player, he was the the one and the only name that I recommended yeah. for the gig. Yeah, so, so I mean, that, that's the perfect scenario, mm-hmm. you know, for what we're talking about. So I want listeners to, to understand that, like, how, how important that really, really is. Yeah. You know, talent is super important. You have to be able to do it. But everyone in this town is talented. Mm-hmm. Everyone can, everyone can technically do do the job, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, um, when it comes to mainstream music, country pop, rock, whatever, I think ninety nine percent of the people that are living in one of these music towns can do the work, yeah. right? But it comes again, it comes back to the relationship, and are you a good hang, and you know, yeah. all those things kind of go together to make it worthwhile, yeah. And uh, just to circle back on that, too, like there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful players in this town, but there's um, I've noticed on the scene that there's a lot of guys who just don't pay attention to details and pay attention to the the small the small things that in turn matter largely. And again, that's uh, that's the the vanity side of it. That's the doing the the real homework learning stuff note for note when you're coming in and you know because it's like if you're chasing after a touring gig that i am doing it's it's a very specific thing it's it's different than playing covers it's different than being a studio musician you know you're you're coming in and you're you know when i auditioned for ashley i learned those parts on her first record note for note 
Um, you know, and I did, I changed one thing and one song when I auditioned, but otherwise I played those things note for note. And it's just, it's those little details that, uh, it seems to me that a lot of people miss. Um, so, so, uh, now that you've been with her for a while, Mm -hmm. do you get the freedom to change things up and make it more your personality of how you play? Or do you still stick to it being pretty much dead on to the records? Uh, my rule is, so when I do a gig for the first time, uh, and again, this is coming in not knowing the artists. Uh, artists that know me and hire me for what I do, I, I take a little more liberty. Yeah. But if I do not know the artist, my baseline is I learn the stuff from the record. Right. And then I will come in and and play it like that for the first time and then you know if it if it seems to be jiving and whatnot and it seems to be like something that's a little more loose not everybody is learning things note for note that's when i'll i'll take some liberties so with ashley's first record um as i got more comfortable i started changing things to do them how i how I would do things. And my rule is it, you know, don't play it unless you can beat what's on the record. That stuff is on the record for, for a reason. reason. Yeah. Um, so unless you can play something better or cooler. Yeah. Then or, yeah. Or just, it. you know, might be something a little different or the way that you approach things, you know, yeah. it, there comes a point like, and again, I'm pretty militant about it like if i'm learning again not knowing the artist i'll learn phil's note for note but now that i'm comfortable with ashley and whatnot it's like if there's a section where the bass is playing on her first record and doing a fill i will change the fill to do something that i like to do there um you know and 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 that sort of stuff and i'm fortunate enough ashley has her live band play on the record so we did this second record that's coming out in April, and that stuff I stick to pretty much note for note. Okay, uh, so you got to so you got to track the new album. I did. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. but um, bef- before we do that, um, for people listening that are wanting to do this, they're you know, they need to know they have permission to do certain things or not to do certain things, mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out okay, what can I do? What should I not do? So. When you started making your your sort of own versions or your own licks within the songs that were already established, did you ask her first, hey, is it okay for me to make some changes to, to make it maybe change a fill here and there? Or do you just do it and see if it works and then let her say, yeah, yeah, yeah or nay? Yeah. And uh, again, Ashley's thing is a little different. It's more of a, a of a collaborative band than an artist and a band. And that's an important distinction to make. Okay. Um, so with her, I would just kind of do it. And, you know, most of the time it wouldn't raise an eyebrow. And uh, but sometimes it'd be like, you know, you'd so the drummer or our guitar player would be like, you know, be like, that's taking away from it. You know, let's sure. go back to yep. what you were doing before. But that stuff is is very seldom, you know, and the ability to self-edit and know what's working and what is not working is important i like still to this day will listen to every board tape that we do 
And because I'm constantly self-editing and listening, did that thing that I do here work? You know, am I laying it right? You know, all all that stuff. So um, I didn't need permission per se. It was just kind of something. If I thought it was going to propel the song forward, yeah. then I would do it. And that's kind of my rule of thumb. If it's not uh, serving a purpose of propelling the song forward, then you shouldn't do it. Um, okay. You know, and... As a bass player, if nobody says anything to you, you're you're doing your your job right. You don't want to bring any attention exactly. to yourself. Yeah. If so. nobody says anything, you're good. Yep. <laughs> as exactly. soon as people start start talking, it's like, yeah, okay, I need to change, make some changes. Yeah, you know, and it's you know, my job is to be unnoticed and just to hold it down and lock with the drummer and you know and and play a groove and usually that's there there's an art to doing that uh and making it simple and locking with a drummer and propelling the song forward and that's you know again back to the college thing all the techniques and music and whatnot that they teach you it's most of that stuff is not going to be appropriate and nor is it going to uh propel the song forward so how do you make that distinction then because from what you're learning in school now i think you I think when we talked earlier, you know, you're talking about when you're 15, you're mm -hmm. learning all the jazz fusion, heady academic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Locked in your room, yeah. you know, where you, you think, you know, that's the great way to do it, but then you're not, you're not playing with people. So that's not necessarily a great thing. But I think the fact that you did that, that you spent time learning how to do all that kind of stuff, I think that gives you an advantage because you're able to apply these things in the real world mm -hmm. in, in ways that you didn't learn in school, maybe, yeah. if it makes sense. Yeah, and I find myself now circling back to that stuff more than anything. Right. Now that I, you know, because I kind of did it in two separate blocks. I, um, I did the academic thing, and then I did the thing where I had to figure out how to learn songs and really invested in mm -hmm. that world and didn't really care about any of that stuff. And now it's kind of a good combination of of the both mm -hmm. that i find myself well, going it, to yeah and the reason i'm saying is because you're talking about you, you said that um you know there's an art to be to not being noticed mm -hmm. to lay in a groove and and not being you know really noticeable mm -hmm. there's an art to that like can can you explain what that means like how how do you make that an art form <laughs> yeah well i mean it's again just the the big picture of playing live music like we have a front of house guy who runs sound for us and you need to understand that just even simple mechanics of the instrument of how you you play um you know i used to want to play really fast and really you know like really light touch and low action on my instrument and all that stuff and then doing this record with uh jay joyce i've learned um you know he keeps everybody on the same cue mix in his studio so you can't set your own cue mix and set your own levels and he oh, okay he sets that mix how he wants you to play. your headphone mix for, yeah for your, your headphone mix that, yeah uh how he wants you to play so he mixes bass really low in that because he wants you to dig in and, and play the snot out of the instrument okay and um, and what you realize, you know, that light touch and all all that stuff, like it just doesn't it doesn't cut uh, in terms of slicing through the mix 
and then you get into the live world and it's the same thing you're you know especially as a bass player doing what i'm doing you're you're oftentimes competing with two guitar players drums you know vocals and all this stuff for some sonic room and uh you know and a lot of times fishbowls like we're playing big arenas places that were not built for live music and you need to understand that how to get your sound across and make it as articulate as possible for the front of house guy to do his job and so it's all it's just those little details in there of kind of and that uh, that makes that an art form and oftentimes simple is going to be better because People aren't going to hear all that little stuff. All the high end, all the high end up it, on the neck. Kind yeah, sixteenth notes. It, it just gets lost in those in those big rooms, yeah. and um, it, it's just all that kind of stuff like that. And what what's important is locking with the drums and making sure it feels good and propelling the music forward. And that's um, you know, and the worst thing for me, like you can hear in the front of house when the bass and the drums are flaming and they're not connected with each other you know the ideal place that you want to put notes as a bass player is right behind where the drummer is to just makes their kick sound so much more massive if you're putting it in the right place if you're early or you're late though it, it, it sounds bad and that's that's an art form right um you know and you need to be right on where their snare is and it's it's all these little things so, sure um, yeah that makes total sense yeah so i'm i'm curious you, you mentioned a little bit about the uh, studio just talking about the headphone mix and having to really dig into, but you were saying earlier about, you know, getting to track on her new album, like Mm -hmm. how, like that was an experience. Yeah. Like how different is that? Like what, what was, what made that such an experience beyond the, the headphone mix and having to like dig into that? Yeah. So we recorded with Jay Joyce, uh, who's a producer in town. He's like a legend to me. He's done, Brothers Osborne, he's done every Eric Church record. Like he's, uh, he's did a Derek Trucks band record that I love. Um, and mostly how things get done in Nashville is it's a it feels very corporate. Uh, you know, you're hiring the best players in the world. Um, you have a producer, and everything is done really quickly. Um, Jay kind of models his thing after at least for us. Um, it was more like a live band in the 60s. We rehearsed for two weeks pre-going into Jay to actually record and just work up these new tunes, come up with stuff that we thought was cool. Jay came in for a week of that and kind of gave us advice and pointers. Okay. And then we just played the stuff over and over again to get it feeling like a band, which is not how Nashville normal music row sessions work. You right. show up, it's a 10 to 3. You're usually doing, I mean, demo sessions can anywhere be from anywhere to seven songs. I think Derek Wells broke it down when you're doing six songs in a demo session, you have 22 minutes a song to get it to do it right, right. Um, before you have to move on to the next one. And that's everything. Wow. Um, so, but Jay, we would do two songs a day, maybe, you know, and it'd be, we'd be there for about eight hours. And this is uh, for the actual album. This is not doing demo stuff. Yeah, no. And then, I mean, records, uh, I haven't done any like true masters in Nashville besides this one, but you know, they take a little bit more time, but it's still quick. Yeah. It's not because it's, it's expensive to be in the studio and it's a huge, huge expense. Um, 
So, but with J, you take a little bit more time and it just kind of gives you the freedom to experiment. And if you want to kind of chase something down a wormhole, you have the freedom to do that. And you're not under this constant pressure of, of the clock, mm-hmm. which is a constant pressure uh, on most of the other sessions that I've done. So, yeah. which has been limited, but it's, I have done some like real real demo sessions and whatnot where it's got to be quick you you know you just got to lay down what's safe and move on to the next song and that's pretty much all you're doing so if you're taking two weeks before going into the studio learning these songs as a band Mm -hmm. and then you get in there and you spend you know a day two but do two songs a day Mm -hmm. said. yeah we did about eight days of tracking full band okay so like how much how many hours per song did you think you spent Man, I would say we probably did, um, you know, 10 to 15 takes of every song, uh, sometimes less, sometimes maybe more. Um, now at that point, are you, cause again, you spent two weeks learning how to put this up together. Yeah. So are you doing 10 to 15 takes per song just to get, just to try to nail it down perfect? Or are you, are you? Are you trying to come up with different runs and different melodies and different things that may be different just to have some some options of things compared to what you spent two weeks working on previously? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit of, of both. Um, Jay is not trying to capture perfection by any stretch of the imagination. He's trying to capture a performance. Right, yeah. Um, so he's... And, and he wants like the energy of, of a live performance, mm-hmm. kind of like you'd see in the 60s. He wants sure. something that you can feel that, you know, that energy. I, it's it's pretty hard to describe other than the fact that you know it when, when you, you hear feel, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when you feel it and you hear it. Sure. Um, and then there is a bit of, you know, we do a take and he would come up to, you know, whoever and be like, hmm, let's try this this way. Or why don't you try doing this? And like sometimes we do stuff uh, where he, he could tell we were starting to think about it too much. Yeah. And there was one instance where he's like, play this a half step up from everybody else just to kind of get you in to break your mold of from thinking about it too much to get you back to a place of performing it. Yeah. Um, People don't realize when you're in a studio, the more times, the more takes you do, the harder it gets. Yeah, because you start <laughs> you start overthinking. You start it's guess, really guessing yourself. And and Jay is really a master of knowing when you need to take a break or when you need to put something away for the day and pull it up at a later time. And mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of I always say this now, like there's a lot of producers in Nashville and I'm using air quotes um, for that Uh, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of glorified engineers who hire players who can self-produce so they're not really doing much actual producing Um, and it's it's hard within the time constraints and um, so but Jay is an actual producer where he is very much so he's a bit of a mind guru and he kind of knows he knows what he's going for and he knows it when he hears it and he knows how to get a certain performance out of people so mm-hmm. he can 
he'll push on you a little bit. And, you know, if he wants you to kind of give you more of an angry thing, he'll get he'll get on your case a little bit and, you know, say things that people normally could not get away with saying. <laughs> and, you know, um, just to make you mad, to get just into to that, make that space. You, exactly. To get you into that headspace to capture that performance. And there's you know, Jay is the only person that I've worked with who who does that. So, um, and that is, you know, from all the guys that I know doing sessions, it's really different than how most people work. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, now what's the name of the the new album that you're playing on? It's uh, called never will. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're excited about it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, now can you talk about what is it like? Cause again, people that are listening that are wanting to be a live touring musician, on a big tour, big artist, um, what does that look like? What does a day-to-day, on-the-road, touring full-time look like for you? Yeah, um, it, it's been a learning process for me. We've only been on a bus for, I want to say, like a year and a half now. Okay. Um, and so maybe two years. Um, but it, it really has been... A learning process for me because it's buses are a lot like casinos if you've ever been in one you there's no clocks you never know what time it is it's always dark there's no natural light so it's very easy to get caught up and staying up late and sleeping until whenever you have to get up and whatnot I did a lot of that early on um, but now have kind of I try to keep my routine on the road very similar to my routine at home so I usually roll out of bed 8 or 9 a.m. or when the bus stops rolling Um, and I will get up I'll usually pop into the venue and grab a shower and then if we're in a city where it's available I will walk to a coffee shop and I will sit down and read and we have a backline tech now so I'm not really setting up my own equipment anymore my setup of stuff that I actually have to do takes about 10 minutes so I just have to pop in plug cables in pull lids off my cases and and uh, before sound check which is usually for us um, we're on the Luke Combs tour this year our sound check is at I think 3 30 um so you guys are opening for Luke? Yeah, okay. and headlining shows, like, we'll load in at 11 and then break for lunch, and then uh, we'll sound check again usually, like, 3 o'clock is, is when we do it. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'll go and do dinner, and then there's about an hour before the show, I kind of pop in. Uh, the band likes to spend some time together. And then we go out and do the thing, and then I'm pretty much uh, in bed by midnight back in my bunk so midnight 1 a.m every now and then i'll i'll get caught hanging out but it's seldom these days um so because i noticed that like it would take me when i was staying up late it would take me till wednesday to feel like a normal human again and then i'd have to get on the bus that that night again so i would my days at home were not very productive so um but Again, it's a learning thing, and everybody does it differently. Everybody's got their different thing. You know, guys who have been doing it forever and who are married and have kids, like, you know, those guys, like, love, they they sleep in, you know. It it really comes down to to preference of of what you 
want to do and how you shape your day. Mm-hmm. You are out there to do the singular job of play the show and play your instrument. And, you know, it's the rest is kind of up to you and you can kind of do whatever you so want you to lo- do. You got a lot of downtime. A lot of downtime. Yeah. You know, so. Just kind of do whatever in each city and then, mm-hmm. so you got to do a re- uh, sound check around three. Mm-hmm. How long does sound check usually take for you guys? Um, so on the Luke Combs tour, we have about 30 minutes once we get up and running. So we'll run a couple of songs. Our headlining shows will, we have as long as we want. We usually take about two hours right now we're taking about two hours because we're still working up new material and getting it feeling comfortable and all of that stuff so So, well even though you guys are out opening for luke combs um you're still if you're not doing a show with them for whatever reason an off day whatever you're going out and doing a headlining show of your own yeah so like this weekend we leave tonight and uh we have three headlining shows this weekend so that stuff is um it will take longer just because we have the time. And yeah. right now, while well, we're working up new material just to get it feeling comfortable and, you know, doing so the thing. how different is it to do a headlining show than an opening slot for another artist? Um, Other than playing more songs. Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the stage that you're in and your touring um, uh, situation. Like, back in the day before we had like a backline tech and a front of house guy, like, you know, we were having to do everything the band was so yep. it's set up and run cables and, you know, we're running our own monitors. And, um, so it was, it was quite a lot. And the headlining date or not the the opening dates were, are a lot more stressful because you have less time mm-hmm. to do it. You're under time crunches. And sometimes you may not get a sound check because, semis get in late and rigging you know um so um and but the headlining shows like when we were doing that it was more kind of more lax like you can just take your time and it's not as rushed and now for me they look pretty much the same because i you know i don't load or unload trailers i'm essentially just responsible for my own equipment and my setup, like I said, is is ten minutes now. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, my days are pretty similar uh, from headlining to uh, opening dates. You know, it's mm-hmm. just playing later in the night. Sure. It's kind of what changes. So. so, like, you know, in in the moment when you're actually playing the concert, mm-hmm. you're playing your. How long is your? If you're an opening slot for Luke Combs, like, what is how long are you guys playing? Forty five minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because uh, there are multiple head or multiple opening slots, right? There's yeah. like two or three openers usually. Yeah. So country tours, uh, it can any be anywhere from one to like four openers. I've yeah. seen some massive bills out yeah. there. Um, so usually how it is is like the opening get act gets uh, like if you're first of three, for example, you'll get 25 minutes to a half hour. Second act will be 45 minutes sometimes an hour um depending on the size of your act and then the headliner is 90 minutes or longer depending on who it is so so what does the actual concert look like for you when you're playing you know like i know it's hard maybe kind of hard to explain it's like okay i'm just i'm playing my songs i'm in the moment i'm playing the songs Mm -hmm. but i'm just trying to get get ideas for for listeners that are thinking okay this is what i want to do what is it like when i'm actually like okay i'm 
you know, I play a coffee house or I play a local community theater or local gigs or whatever. That's a, that's a different beast. Yeah. You know, playing arenas and club, you know, these big clubs and things like that. That's a different thing mm-hmm. than playing some local yeah. gig, you know, in your hometown or region, whatever. So like, what is it, what's different about playing, you know, arenas and these huge theaters or clubs, or whatever, as opposed to something local from where you, when you first start, start out? Um, man, I or think, is there one? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know that, uh, if there is one, it's quantifiable. Um, like for me, it's, I love playing music. And so playing for the small crowds is just as fun for me as playing the big ones. Um, and actually I think I prefer playing small rooms as opposed to arenas. Um, there's something about the, the interaction of having somebody right up on your face and, you know, you can really see, um, in real time, how they're reacting to mm. the music that you're playing. And sometimes you get on these festivals or uh, opening dates or whatever, and it feels like the audience is in a different area code mm-hmm. uh, than where you're playing. Sure. So, um, I th- I th- but at the end of the day, like uh, whether it's for five people or, you know, 20,000, it's, it, it feels the same. Like I'm, st- it's just an exciting yeah. thing to go, go and do. It's so. not, it's not scary, like a scarier situation having 20,000 people looking at you in this massive, you know, building. Um, the first time that I did it, it was, you know, the first, I mean, the first couple of times that you do it, it, it's, it's just a different animal. Uh, you're mechanically, you're adjusting to a lot of different things. What Mm -hmm. you're doing is the same, but in those big situations, like, you you have lights you have you know all of these other um kind of exterior things that you're having to take into account i remember one of the first arenas that i played the lights went out in between the songs and it was pitch black and click starts going for the next song and you know like me and the guitar player like there are no lights going on and see what you're doing can't see what you're doing and you know it's like little things like that that you just don't know are going to happen until you're in the moment Mm -hmm. and you do it and you get used to it um but like the playing music aspect of it is the same it's just bigger and louder but there's a bunch of mechanics that you have to adjust to uh the bigger the tour gets so yeah that's good. I mean, that's good for people to know. Like, because you, you, you wouldn't think about that. All the lights go out. You can't see what you're about to, mm-hmm. what you're supposed to play here in a minute. Yep. You know, and all of a sudden a click starts, your heart starts racing. Yep. Like, I know that feeling. <laughs> that feeling. Yeah. That click is going and, then, and it's time for you to go and you can't see what you're supposed to do. And it's like, that's a terrifying thought yep. for a moment. And uh, so I get it. Uh, yeah. Not not in an arena setting. I haven't done arenas, but uh, it doesn't matter what the venue is. If mm-hmm. you can't see what you're supposed to do, it's a, it's yeah. a scary moment. <laughs> yeah, man. You just learn, you know, like you learn little tricks. Like I've, uh, I've found some of my bases, the, the frets, uh, markings are harder to see on the side. So I've got, 
I've gaff taped them with mm. neon uh, neon gaff tape so I can see them all the time. Yeah. You know, and that like glows you, in the dark. Uh, yeah, you can see it in the dark. Yeah. I don't know that it glows in the dark, right. but there's a million little tricks that. See, that's brilliant. Yeah, see, like that's the kind of mm-hmm. stuff I think is so good for people to hear. It's like, okay, what are these little these little tricks that you that you do so that people know? Oh, yep. okay. If I'm ever if I ever get to be in that position, this mm-hmm. is something that I can apply to myself. So that's smart. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I mean, little stuff like that, and then just you know making sure. Well, what else? Yeah. I love that. That's yeah, super cool. like you know your equipment working and making sure that all of your stuff is foolproof, you know, and that's uh, that's a big thing because if your gear goes down when you're playing a show, there's nothing that that you can do you have to keep going and uh for bass players like that looks like i run multiple signals off of my my bass i run a mic amp i run a di and then i run a dirty di that front of house can blend together but if my amp goes down for some reason um that's not solely where my signal is coming out because you're also a direct signal yeah and uh for bass players that means running an independent di of your uh amp do like my advice for bass players coming up is never to run a di out of the head of your amp because if your hand if your amp goes out in the middle of a show you're out of luck you lose your signal completely i run an independent di of my amp that way if my amp goes down you're still getting signal from the di and vice versa if the di goes down it's still passing signal through to the amp so okay um just kind of all of that little stuff and you just kind of it's kind of that you need to be ready for the worst case scenario um so and that's any of that stuff from taping you know your fretboard to whatever you it's just whatever can go wrong will go wrong. now has that happened to you have you has your amp gone out in the middle of a show uh, of a big show like that and where you you know um i haven't had an amp go down per se i've had bases go down uh okay. or like struggling with signal um i'm stubborn and like to use vintage bases and those kind oh, of I have know. their uh i love them they're amazing yeah they they have their their demons i've stopped traveling with them now but uh like those will go down and that's something as simple as having another base to grab if they do go down um you know and and being just prepared um i'm always prepared if something goes wrong to to fix it mm-hmm. very very quickly um so now when you guys are whether you're headlining or you're opening are you guys always using in-ears or y'all, do y'all ever use wedges or maybe a mixture of both um we use in-ears okay. and uh every now and then we'll find ourselves in a situation where we use wedges we used to only use wedges and then you make the jump you know if you're trying to do a massive rock show on the production level that Ashley is going for in years are kind of the only way to accomplish that. If you're on a wedge, you really have to be married to kind of where the wedges are and where they're standing um, or where you're standing. Cause if you move away from that, you're going to not be able to hear anything or it's going to change depending on where you are on stage in years just keeps that constant no matter where you move on stage right so and since you guys are using in-ears now you said you don't you guys don't use tracks at all any mm-hmm. pre-recorded tracks along for people listening any pre-recorded tracks along with what you're playing as live musicians yeah so there's no because on the on a record you can have 50 60 tracks of all this all this stuff but then when, when you're live you got five players mm-hmm. you know you don't 
you know, you don't get all the extra stuff unless you take those tracks from the from the album and are playing them along with you live, which a lot of people do that. Yep. So if you guys aren't using live tracks, but you're using in-ears, you said you're using a click. Yeah, sometimes, like some of the stuff we'll use a click for, some of it we won't. Okay. Like our thing is a very, it's a it, it's a rock band, so we're not married yeah, to... So you're a little different. You guys kind of have, you're kind of an anomaly nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> you're old school. Yeah. <laughs> which is an anomaly. Uh, but the reason I'm asking is because a lot of times when we're using click, um, in-ears, we're using a click track will have there's a little voice for people who don't know who've never used in ears there's a little voice in the in your ears that's talking to you that's that's recorded that's telling you when a verse is coming up when a chorus is coming up here's the bridge here's the count in one two three chorus and then you you know yeah. it's telling you when to play what section mm-hmm are you guys doing that, or is it just straight click and that's and nothing else? It's straight click. The yeah. voices seems a bit uh, mechanical to me, um, and uh, you know, like I like it for church when it, and in some of those situations where I don't have to think as much and it makes my prep a little bit easier. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, like this is my this is my job that I do every day. So I need to like the Ashley stuff. Like I need to live in that material yeah, and you didn't know, know it, it anyway. Yeah, know it backwards and forwards. So um, you know, so we don't have any uh, recorded voices or anything like that. It's just a click going. And on the newer stuff, like we'll keep it going just until we're comfortable with it. And then usually now, like the older stuff that we're comfortable with playing, we'll cut it first chorus. Cut the click out mm-hmm. and just do it. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Takes on a, a beast of its own. So, you know, and that, that, that all comes down to preference. So, yeah. now maybe I'm wrong in saying this because um, you're a country rock band. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself a jam band um, uh, uh, when you're live? Because the reason I ask is, you know, like Hunter Hayes. Yeah. You know, bands like his. Like they get up there and they can just jam because he's just shredding and they can just kind of play off each other and do all this stuff, you know, or Vince Gill or Keith Urban, whatever, you know, and they can just kind of do whatever as long as they want and let mm-hmm. a song go for nine or 10 minutes if they, if they want to. Yeah. You know, like, do you guys ever do that kind of stuff or do you stick pretty? Because you're saying you you cut the click out after the yeah. chorus and can just kind of free, you know, kind of go with, with the vibe, but... Do you guys do ever do that kind of stuff, or do you still stick to what the song is? Um, man, it depends on what it is. Like, there's some stuff um, that needs to be what it is yeah. on the record, and then we have a couple of songs, one in particular where we stretch the ending out and we kind of jam. But it, you know, we're not. Uh, you know that going going into it. Yeah, it's and and again, like all of this stuff, especially in in country world, is it, it's more thought out than it appears to be. Um, you know, there, uh, the acts that I've been around, like there is very little like actual, uh, jamming per se going on. And it's very scripted. Like we are going to do this in this section. It's going to be loose, but it right. is, it's happening. Right, you know, exactly. you, you know, it ahead of time as opposed to like, if you're you know, listening to the Grateful Dead or like a Dave Matthews band or a fish, yeah. that stuff, that is the definition of a jam band. Right. Um, you know, we are, we are not that. So, but sure. we do, we do take moments where we, we stretch a little yeah. bit. And I've so. noticed that like, especially with like Keith Urban, he did, um, the New Year's Eve show, yeah. show here in Nashville and uh, the past few years and I was watching it this year and they did this really long 
quote unquote jam session on mm-hmm. on a particular song, but when it got to the end of it, they all knew exactly when it was coming to an end. Yep. So that's why that's where you're saying for people listening to know that's where you're saying it's scripted. They know how long they've got, how mm-hmm. many measures of each thing that they're going to do, and they can kind of play within that in that realm. Yeah. But it's coming to an end at a certain spot, and they all know it. Yeah, and like those guys, like the the Keith Urban stuff, and like those, like one, there, um, there's talkback mics on stage that you know the drummers usually got one, and they're scattered throughout um, the stage, and you step on a switch, and you can talk into a microphone, and everybody can hear you in the yeah, ears, and know um, when something's going to change. Yeah, so you know it might be something like that where it's you know it is loose and free, but somebody is cueing that in the in ears, um, like either the drummer or whoever um, is going to cue that for you, or it's a very you know we are going to jam for or we're going to stretch this out for X amount of time. Yeah, you know, and then that's the same every night. Yeah. So. It it just sort of depends. There's a million different ways to do it yeah. depending on the act. So that's cool. So, dude, man, this is awesome. This is so good. We could talk for just forever on this kind of stuff, but because uh, I love I love the behind the scenes aspect of mm-hmm. of anything of music of of mu- movies and anything. I love it's the behind the scenes stuff that gets yeah. me more excited really than anything. Mm-hmm. I just I love knowing how it how it works, how it's all put together. Yeah. Um. So. For for listeners, just as we kind of close out, you know, what's what's some advice? And you've given a bunch, but like, what's some advice that you could give uh, for people that are wanting to get into to being a full time touring musician? Like, what would you tell them? You know, these are the steps you need to take. Maybe these are some pitfalls to avoid. You know, as you as you're working on doing this. Yeah, I think um, for me, when I decided that I wanted to to do this specific thing. Um, it was just doing the homework. And when I moved to Nashville, uh, like my goal was to make a living playing music. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that meant. And as the years went on, you realize there are really specific corners of the industry that you can pursue and where you, and that's important to know because where you spend your time networking uh, is hopefully where you end up working. And even in the touring world, uh, you have a lot of decisions to make um, as to as to what you want to do. So I think, one, having a really clear picture of what you want to be doing is really important. For me, uh, that came to, like, I wanted something that was more of a live band thing. I, I don't want to be a studio musician, but I wanted to play on a record every now and then and you know figuring out that that was all possible and then turning my attention towards kind of networking around people who were already doing that and around acts that were already doing that so doing your homework is really key and then once you decide kind of what you want to be doing just be listening to that music, be learning that music, be familiar with, you know, live shows and how they look and how they function, you know, and that's, I spent countless hours on YouTube watching how live bands would play stuff versus how it was played on the record and kind of distinguishing what parts they would keep and what parts they wouldn't keep, you know, it's all, again, it's all about doing homework for me at this level. And that is my advice. Like the advice that I give to people is homework, you know, do your practice and then look to the guys who are doing it. Uh, you know, in today's world, most of these people are very accessible. 
uh, to anybody and via Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And most of these people, uh, you know, if you catch them at a time when they're not busy, are going to be more than happy to sit down with you. You know, some of the most best learning experiences that I had were getting coffee with guys who were doing it. Um, and just in, you know, figuring out what their path was and how they did it and, uh, kind of, just learning from that and figuring out how to do this and how to kind of get in those situations. So, um, a lot of that. And then, you know, things to avoid or leave at home is your ego. Uh, you know, be able to take constructive criticism, you know, don't be a jerk. Uh, don't come in and think you know all the answers because you don't. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit now and I'm still learning every day and that's what I love about it. Um, you know, and just be open to learning. You know, if you think you have it all figured out and, you know, you're God's gift to whatever instrument you're playing, you're not going to go very far because um, people don't like those attitudes at all. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, pretty much all all that i have and kind of that realm of things yeah, no so. that's awesome that's plenty I, I appreciate you being willing to share it all and and do that i do want to ask you this um uh two things <clears throat> i don't want specifics mm-hmm. because it's that's none of my business or, or the audience's business <laughs> but as far as like when you get as a touring musician doing this full-time professionally when people are getting paid to do mm-hmm. to get to do this for a living, like, is it a salary based situation? Not you know, I mean, you're playing for an A list, you know, an A lister type yeah. artist. You know, that's not always the case. You know, for people who are just getting started, or if it's a new artist, whatever it is, when you're getting to do this on a bigger level, yeah. you know, is there a certain like pay scale that that touring musicians work on because there's a when you're in the studio if you're if you're a union yeah musician and you're working in the studio there's a pay scale that everyone gets paid regardless of what you're doing mm-hmm. does it work the same way for for touring on a big tour like that or is it different um man it's i'm actually pretty open in this area um because i've had people be very open with me um and it's been insightful for my expectations of what i what i can expect yeah uh, the answer to your specific question is it depends on the artist. Okay. Um, and it depends on how much that artist values the players behind them or uh, treats them as a replaceable entity because we live in Nashville and anybody can do this stuff. Right. Um, and you're going to find a lot of both. And it, it really it really depends. Um, I It was important to me to find an artist that valued the people that were standing uh, behind them and not just treat them at, you know, as a replaceable entity. Um, and, you know, with that, like we're not on salary. Um, and, uh, I don't sit in on the business meeting, so I have no idea if it's ever going to turn into that. It, you know, if it does, that would be really cool. Um, but uh, I will preface that by saying we're doing a lot of shows every year, mm-hmm. Um, and you can sometimes end up on, on a salary gig where you're actually going to be making a lot less money, um, because you're paid X amount and they own you, you know, that's rehearsals, that's travel days, that's shows, 
and they can add whatever they want to the books and you you're have getting, to and you have the to same show. regardless yeah, yeah and you're getting paid the same regardless whether it's 25 shows a year or or 150 shows a year yes. you're getting paid the same exactly yeah. it becomes beneficial salary becomes beneficial for me as the artist gets bigger and you're doing less shows right um so when we're doing shows we're on still still on show pay right now with ashley and we get paid per show um and then like things like rehearsals are half rate of that which is standard uh business travel days are kind of again depending on on the artist um you get at least get a per diem yeah you, we thing. get a per diem every day it's 25 dollars a day which again depending on the artist it's yeah. it's pretty standard across the board but um your financial expectations for this as doing what i do uh you're uh, you're never gonna be rich by by doing this year it's not how this works and if that's your goal there's a lot easier ways to get rich than playing music um <laughs> you know you can you can settle into making a good living for yourself yeah. um you know can can you give like a, a scope yeah like an overall like what's the bottom that someone would get paid in a in the top line like what's what's the range yeah so, so i don't because i don't want to ask you specifically what you make but like can you give like a, a range of like well from here to here is what is average let's just say yeah that. um when i so i'll kind of break this down and by era of what i was doing sure. after college um i made about twenty thousand dollars a year playing music and that's, I was living with roommates, so I was doing everything as cheaply as possible, you know, just kind of working my way towards what I had. And you, I did not expect to be at this point at this stage in my life. I'm 26 years old. I'm fairly young to be doing it at the level that I'm doing it at. Um, you know, I expected to be 30 before I saw the inside of a tour bus. Um, and then, um, so it's like, I just... And, and at that point, I lived as cheaply as possible, and that was kind of, um, you know, the range. Um, you know, you guys making fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a year doing it at that level, and that might be, like, new touring artists. I was doing a lot of cover gigs at that time. You're doing multiple things at that time. Yeah, it wasn't I just mean, playing for one person. Yeah, I was, you know, anything to fill the calendar, yeah. um, you know, and, and just go out and work. And the average show pay that I was coming in around that time was like two hundred dollars a show um which is good yeah yeah it's 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 decent and uh kind of moving up from there you know uh you can expect like where i'm at right now to make like 30 to forty thousand dollars a year not you know it's livable and i still have roommates and but it's you know it's allowed it allowed me to save money i pay my bills you know it's comfortable but again you know your expectations it looks very glamorous on stage but you need to have a very realistic expectation of what what it looks like off the stage and it's you know i don't own a home i'm probably not going to own own a home for another five years um you know and because i'm not married and i don't you know i don't have a conjoined income with somebody you know i'm on i'm on my own and nashville is very expensive so you know coming up with 50 to eighty thousand dollars for a down payment on a house to avoid insurance on that it's it's a tough feat so you know 
Um, and then, you know, the guys who are like A-list, huge, massive gigs, you know, I, it's, a again, it ranges. I've heard anything like from like $60,000 upwards to a low six figure income as a player, as a player on, on a salary. I mean, you're talking about George Strait's players and people that are just, they've been Mm -hmm. doing it for years. Cause a lot of these artists, you know, uh, Garth and George Strait and you know a lot of those guys that have been doing this forever, their their band have been with them from the basically from the very beginning. Yep. You know their players have been with them for years and years and years, and so they they've worked their way up to be able to do that. They've earned. Yeah, <laughs> they've earned yeah. Those. And you know, and again, it it that is dependent on who you're working for. Sure. And again, it's like it was important to me to not just get on a tour bus and, and get a gig, which is some people's like, that's what they want. Yeah, they um, just want the opportunity. Yeah. And for me, it was a little more important to love the people that I was working with, to love the music that I was playing and, uh, you know, to, to be valued, uh, for my contribution to the musical, uh, creation to be valued yeah and um you know that sometimes uh, you're gonna take a pay cut in in, in wanting those things sure. um you know or it's gonna take you longer to get there and like i said i've been uh, a great combination of uh prepared and lucky to end up where i am at at such a young age so uh because i have all three of those things but you know like there's guys out there who just want to get on a bus and have it, you know, have it be that and, you know, and, and play, play gigs. The other stuff does, doesn't matter as much. Now, do you also, when you're not out playing with Ashley, you have downtime. Do you, will you go out and play for someone else from time to time? Um, because you used I, to do that with me. Like, yeah. Because you know, at the time you were playing for multiple things, and if I had an opportunity, I could take you out. I, you know, I would. But then you had other stuff going on too. But now you're playing for her, and this is this is a very different scenario. Yeah. So can you do that, or do you want to do that? Um, I can do that, and I do like to do it. I've gotten a lot more picky about who I do it with. Sure. Um, you know, I really either have to like the community or the fellowship. Or I have to like the music. Ideally, both. I am not above hopping in a van and trailer and going and doing the thing if the music is great and you know I'm around and all that. Um, but there's some people who won't. Um, you know, I again am young and still like doing as much as I can and sure. getting as much experience as I can, and I love playing music. Yeah. And I don't think it's smart too yeah yeah and for me it's like i don't like sitting around like i get antsy if i sit around at home for more than a week so like i like the traveling and i like getting out there and you know some people either they've been doing it forever or they don't love it you know the traveling because i mean logistics are are tough it's tough on you Mm -hmm. it's hard on your body um, you know, so people, the last thing that they want to do after being out, you know, uh, and they have a weekend off is to go out again. I'm right. kind of the opposite where it's like, I'll, you know, I'll go out if I like the music and the product or the people, uh, even if I've been burning it up. So, sure. uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. Last thing before I forget. So you, uh, Ashley is on the same is with the same company that Eric Church yeah, is with. Correct. Um, same management team, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember a, a, about a year, year and a half ago or something like that, 
um, Eric Church put out a music video yeah. that you got to star in. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, in the storyline, you are the main character yeah. in the story. And I thought that was such a cool opportunity that you got to do that. Yeah. Um, so, because I'll put a link um, in the show notes for people to go to go check out that video because I want them to see what mm-hmm. what you got to do. And uh, but can you? Tell us how you how that opportunity came about for you because that in this you're not playing in this you're acting in this this is different yeah. than than playing bass yeah so that um, whole thing came about uh, Eric Church uh, for the Mister Misunderstood record was kind of doing a series of music videos and they had this kid in uh, reoccurring in three different videos okay. Um, uh, the Mr. Misunderstood one, um, and then there were two other ones that I'm blanking on right now. Um, uh, record year, and then they're the last one I'm not going to remember. But uh, so the fourth video in this, which is uh, Round Here Buzz, um, they wanted to present the adult version of this this kid, and uh, so this came about. Uh, I the I met. John Peets, who is Ashley and Eric's manager, uh, I went by the office for a meeting with Ashley's business managers. Um, and this was my first time meeting anybody at the office and whatnot. And uh, I got to meet John Peets and shook his hand and uh, then kind of went on to the meeting. And then, uh, like, I think two weeks later, got a call from the people producing Eric's video um, asking me if I was interested in, in doing it. And what happened was Pete saw me and was like, that is the perfect kid to play the grown up version yeah. of this uh, of this kid because they, they look very and alike. You, we watched the video and we're like, holy cow, man. That kid looks just like the young version of you. It, mm-hmm. it was it's very uncanny how much, you know, it it worked. Yeah. Because usually that a lot of times that kind of stuff doesn't work. It's like you watch a, a movie or a TV show and you see a flashback in some kid versus adult. There's like no comparison, but you actually look like the adult version of that kid. Yeah. It's really yeah. it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was really fun and cool to be a part of. So. Yeah. So your first acting experience? Yeah. I, besides, I did the little stuff on, on Nashville when that was still oh, that's recording. Right, so. That's right. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. Cause, so we were never on Nashville together, were we? No. I forgot that you had done that. Because, yeah, yeah, obviously, because I did that, and people know about that. But Paid um, a lot of my bills. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Missed um, that. <laughs> so, me too. Um, how was your experience on doing Nashville then? Good. I, you know, it was fun to... For me, like, I just like learning about stuff. And again, like you kind of like behind the scenes. And it was really fascinating to see mm-hmm. behind the scenes of how a network television show gets done. And yeah. then like, man, I thought my job was a lot of hurry up and wait uh, right now. And I, it's nothing in comparison yeah. to what you are doing on a on an acting set, how much waiting you're doing and whatnot. Right. It's... So, and it was really cool to kind of see how they do it and film it. And I learned a lot and it really helped me watch like movies and television a lot differently Mm -hmm. from just kind of seeing the behind the scenes of it all. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that uh, now that you say that you've been on the show, because I completely forgot about that. So I'm glad you mentioned it. But, um, you know, you talk about learning like Ashley's music, Mm -hmm. you know, you have, you try to know it note for note, but you have a, a week or two to learn that right Mm -hmm. when we do nashville you get hopefully 
hopefully, yeah. 24 hours yeah. to learn a song note for note. Mm-hmm. And because they're going to film it, yeah. you know, and so you're going to be on camera having to do it exactly what, you know, they're, yeah. they're sticklers for that because it's about Music City, mm-hmm. you know. So I was glad they did that. But man, that that was tough. Yeah. You know, because sometimes we wouldn't even get that much. They would be late in getting the music to us. And I'm like screaming, like, where's the music? I need this music. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, especially when you're doing like real intricate, like lead lead lines and things like that. And every verse is different. Yeah. You know, for at least for what I had to do, it's like, you know, it was, it could be stressful, but yeah, you know, but it was fun to do it. Yeah. And that's a, like an important thing about uh, the music industry in general. When you are like waiting on music for people and all these different things, these people, uh, you're most of the time at the bottom of their priority list these people have a lot of other things going on they're handling a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and so that's a thing you might be waiting for music for for weeks you know for gigs that that you're booked for uh you know because the gigs will book out uh for me pretty far in advance but man sometimes i'm not getting music until the week before and it's just like people have a lot going on and especially if you're dealing with management companies and whatnot you that is always something that you are going to be on the bottom of their priority list because there's even though you're the one putting on the show for everybody. Yeah, it, exactly it's this weird thing but and like i get it like i've been very fortunate to um be involved on in some of the business things on Ashley and like these people are handling a lot every day and yeah. usually like Ashley is not our day-to-day manager's only artist you know he's handling a lot of right. different things and a lot of multiple artists yeah multiple artists and you know so what may seem important to you is probably not very important to them because they're handling 95 other different fires they're having to put out that day mm-hmm. and so be just you know being patient and then again just being able to when you finally get that be able to uh bear down and do the work and Mm -hmm. and be able to crank it out quickly you know it's never stuff in this business is never going to happen on the schedule that you want it to happen now let me ask you this because when we did nashville they would send us when they would send us the song they would send us the full song Mm -hmm. and then they would send us stems which would be like the individual tracks of like the bass track and the electric guitar track or the drum track or whatever for Mm -hmm. each each musician to work on their part so when you're having to learn something for ashley like off of the first when you first got the gig or for for anyone else that you've played with are you only getting the full version of the song that everyone else hears or do you get a you know stems of what you're baseline is because and i say that because you know sometimes there are parts that are so buried in a in a track that it's really hard to hear what is actually happening yeah like do you get the individual tracks that you can work on to to know what those are or do you have to kind of kind of put your ear to the speaker and try to figure out what it is sometimes uh with ashley's first record i did not get stems um mean and uh so i just learned for the record and again like in those moments that it does get a, a little buried or whatnot, especially with bass. It's, you know, you got to take your best guess, you know, yeah. and, and at some point, especially if you're having to prepare quickly, you can't knuckle down on like getting everything super, super specific at some point, especially if you're having to learn a lot of material quickly, mm-hmm. you just got to put something there that works. And then 
hopefully if this is a reoccurring gig for you, mm-hmm. uh, come back to it and refine keep, it. Yeah. yeah re, you know, re- refine, listen and refine, mm-hmm. um, which is what I still do with, with Ashley's music. And yeah. for her second record, I played on it. Yeah. So you, you wrote it. So you know that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a pretty good idea of the, <laughs> the stuff that I play. So yeah. you can at least talk to the guy who wrote it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be yeah. That's awesome. Dude, man, Sancho, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with me and my audience and sharing your story and just giving so much information and advice for people that are wanting to get into this because there's so many people you know in this town and in all the music cities that are trying to do this. So this is extremely helpful for people to know what what to expect and how to apply what what you're sharing with them put into practice into their lives. So I'm very grateful for you and your friendship and for coming on and and sharing your story and helping us out. Absolutely. So, Thanks for having me. So I want people to go check out, um, look you up online. I'll have them just tell them to go look up on Ashley McBride. Mm-hmm. Spell Ashley's name so people know. Yeah, it's A-S-H-L-E-Y. Uh, and then her last name is M-C-B-R-Y-D-E. That The Y. I knew yep. there was a weird spelling there, so I want to make sure that people knew that. So go look her up on YouTube and some live stuff. And then, and then we'll put the Eric Church... Uh, link in there so they can go see you act out um, on a music video. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Dude, it's good to talk to you and have a fun tour, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, everybody. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. Christian is such an incredible bass player. Be sure to check out Ashley McBride's new album so you can hear him playing on that album and go look them up on YouTube and you'll see him playing with big beard and glasses and super cool bass guitars. Be sure to like the podcast if you're enjoying what we're talking about. Subscribe to it on the different platforms you're listening to it on and spread the word to your friends. And remember, Edinburgh Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.